this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge, and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg, and I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush, and I touch air. Couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you've had an encounter or story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me just get a hold of me. And if you want more shows every week, go ahead and become a member to theconfessionalspodcast.com because members get an extra show every Thursday on the website. So if that interests you, go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member today. And if you're looking for some emergency preparedness food, we do offer that as well. All you got to do is go to preparewiththeconfessionals.com. That's prepare with theconfessionals.com and you can get yourself some emergency preparedness food because in times like these you never know when that supply chain is going to get cut out and you want to be prepared now this week we have a great show coming up for you and hopefully you enjoy it while you listen to it because when you're listening to this show i'm more than likely going to be driving tractor trailer around somewhere in the philadelphia area in a tropical storm I just found out there's going to be a tropical storm hitting, and they said that any moment now, it's going to start pouring at my house all day tomorrow. We'll see how it goes, but hopefully you enjoy this show. We have Josh coming on the show first, and Josh has an experience where he witnessed the ghost of his dad, who is still alive and well. Very interesting story he has to share with us. And then we're going to bring on Daniel, and Daniel experienced with his family when he was a kid the screaming La Larona. Let's get to it right now. All right, today we got a great guest coming on the show. Josh, how are you? I'm good, Tony. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, my friend. Doing well. So we got a chance to talk a little bit and uh, get to know each other. We're like-minded individuals, and that's always nice to have that kind of conversation. Uh, 
you grew up in a paranormal household and you've had little experiences here and there. As an adult, you had a pretty major experience. And we're not going to give away too much of the location of the house that we're talking about because your parents are actually trying to sell it right now. So we want them to be able to sell the house. and uh, But we also want to hear the story. So Josh, what we're going to do is we're going to start off with the major thing that happened at the house uh, that I'm very fascinated by. And then we're going to go into some of the more smaller things that happened to you. And even your parents had had experiences as well. And you can share those experiences if you choose. Why don't you walk us into this experience where you had uh, at the house as an adult? Well, um, this, uh, this house is a beautiful old place uh, north of Atlanta, and uh, we moved in in the late 70s. And um, I, uh, I, I left home in the late 80s, and we would always have things happening back and forth. And I've been, I've been fortunate enough to go back and visit them um, you know, a, a few months or a few times during the year. And um, I was down in uh, at the beginning of the summer of this year and um, happened to be borrowing my father's car. And my wife had taken my car to go see some family and went out to dinner with a customer uh, uh, in, a, in a store that I was seeing down in Atlanta. And when I got back, uh, it, it, there's a separate garage. And uh, the garage is, uh, is probably about 50 feet from the, the back of their house. And it was dark out, probably around eight thirty, eight forty-five. And I pulled into the garage, and as I as I was walking out, I, I happened to be on the phone with a with a friend of mine, and uh, who's somebody you've got to talk to because he's had some freaky things happen up in Seattle. But anyway, I'm walking out toward my parents' house, and before I even leave the garage, I'm looking at the back stairs, and there's a tree that's a, a topiary tree that's about eight feet tall. And I see my father lean out from behind the tree and I'm talking to my friend and I said, well, my dad's messing around with me. I'm not really sure what's going on. And I'm looking at him and he leans back in. So I wait for a second and I'm pausing, talking to my friend and he's going, what is going on? And I said, this is really strange. My dad's messing with me. Well, I see him lean out two more times. And as I walk toward the tree, I get to the tree and he's gone. There's nobody there. So, um, I thought it was a little strange in that my father, you know, doesn't really check on me. He used to check on me when I would, you know, get home when I was in high school. If I got home later, he'd be waiting in the back porch or something looking for me. But, you know, he never really really was the type of, of father that would check in on me to make sure it was me coming in or whatever. So I go walking up the, the back stairs and there's a back porch where my mother and father spend most of their time now. They've got a TV back there and it's real comfortable and everything. And I walk in and I ask my, my father... I said, were you just downstairs? He goes, no. He goes, I've been sitting here talking to your mom. And so I asked her, calling him out. I said, so was he just downstairs? And she goes, no, we've been, we've been sitting here talking for the last hour and a half. And I said, well, I just saw you downstairs. And he said, no, I, I was not there. Tony, there was nobody there. And I, I, made, that, I made that walk between the, the garage and the back porch in you know, less than 10 seconds. Um, my father's in great shape for a, for a guy in his late seventies, but he's had a couple of hip replacements in one knee. He doesn't move that fast. Whatever this was, was gone. And, uh, I spoke to my wife about it when she got home and I said, really weird thing happened. And I told her and she said, well, what did he look like? So I'm describing him. I said, well, he's wearing a green sweater and a big white collar. I mean, a big white collar and had on um, brass rimmed glasses and black hair. Well, Tony, my dad is in his late seventies. His hair is white as snow. 
He hasn't worn glasses in 30 years. And he just, there's no way he would be wearing a sweater. It was warm. And my wife said, well, jokingly, because she, I don't think she believed me. She said, I think it was a time slip. And she said it jokingly, but it hit me. What I saw was my dad from the late eighties looking at me getting home from somewhere. And if the more I think about it, I, I just wonder, you know, the, the whole thing about ghosts and everything and everybody's got their, you know, everybody's got their, uh, their idea of what hauntings could be or what ghosts could be. You know, the one that I've heard a lot is that, that it's almost a recording that, you know, the, the core of the earth is basically a magnet and, you know, as magnetic tape will do, how it will record certain events. And I almost wonder if it was, if it was actually my dad, a recording of my dad from the eighties. And I, I don't know if you've ever heard of anything like that before. I mean, it, it sounds like something that you would think I would have heard before, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever heard of it before. Right. I mean, uh, wow. Wow. And so you guys, you and your wife are leaning towards time slip. Do you think time slip and time travel are two separate things or would you think that's the same exact thing? I think they're two different things. And I've thought about time travel and, you know, people, people have said, well, you know, if time travel exists or if time travel is created, wouldn't that mean then it has always been there? Because if yes. somebody's created it, they're going to go wherever they want. So if somebody, you know, if if somebody comes back, then it will always it will always have been in existence. So it's a, it's a little it's way too meta to go into. I know, but I I don't know if this was just a recording of of something that happened when I was a teenager and got home from being out. You know, it just but it, it's certainly not the first thing that happened there. Um, like you said, when we we moved in in the late seventies, and really not a lot, not a lot happened until the early eighties. And um, the house was used as a as a Civil War hospital. Um, there were Union soldiers that were stationed there. Uh, it's a big old place. It was a girls' school for a long time. The house was built, in the, I believe, in the eighteen forties, and uh, it's on the National Historical Registry. And it, it's a beautiful old place. It's, there's a lot of wood and there's a lot of stone inside this house. So who knows what what those materials hang on to? But I, I can tell you that a couple of the first things I remember. Um, the historical society sent my parents a letter, um, at, at one point that was, I guess it was, it was kept in a file. Someone found it and said, you own the house now, you should read this. And it was a letter to the family that the union had basically taken the house from in the civil war. They continued to live there, but they had to host the, the union army and our portions up. And, uh, the union army had put a sentry on watch at night. And he would he would walk up and down the stairs and you know in in the hallways and things and these are the same hardwood floors that were in this house when it was built you know a hundred and you know however many years ago hundred and eight years ago whatever it is and um, the uh, the letter was from this this soldier and it was to the family and he said you know I I never minded you know looking after you you were so good to me I'm mean, just a beautiful letter really really nice well written how much he loved the family how how they welcomed him in really just gorgeous letter, very sweet. And, um, that night, uh, this is one of the things that my parents heard and my, my folks really won't admit to a lot of this. Um, but there were a couple of things that did happen and one of them's real freaky, but this, uh, this evening that we got this letter, everybody's in bed and about two or three in the morning, of course, um, my father hears someone walking downstairs, all the bedrooms are upstairs. 
you hear someone walking downstairs, walk up the stairs, which is all wood, walk down to their their um, their bedroom door to my sister's bedroom door, back down to my bedroom door, and then back to theirs and stop outside the door. Well, my dad gets up, throws the door open, and of course, there's nobody there. It only happened the one time, but it was in uh, it, it coincided with the fact that they got this letter from this Union soldier who was a sentry, and that's the only thing that my parents heard that I didn't. And anything that I come up with, they're like, "You're insane." My mother is very sweet, and she'll say, "Oh, you've got a, you've got such a an active imagination," and I always have, and you know, it, and I guess I still do. But um, you know, it's it's a little freaky that as soon as we get this letter, we hear footsteps in the house, and they weren't just off in the distance; they were really heavy. I mean, my dad said someone was walking, and I heard them. But that's that's one of the only things he'll admit to. The other thing that he will admit to is. Uh, I was in high school, mid eighties, uh, had to pick my sister up from somewhere and brought her back. And it was probably nine or 10 at night. And there is a separate house that they converted into a, a, a little house that they, from time to time, they rented this house out and it's really kind of a pool house. And, um, they, they had a piano out there. So we get home, I pull in my, my sister and I walk across the same driveway up the same back stairs I was talking about. And my dad says, listen, and he goes, just be real quiet. Listen, somebody's playing the piano out in the in the guest house, and it's just blaring. And it was, it sounded great. Somebody knew what they were doing. And my dad said, somebody's out there. Somebody's you know out there drunk, and they're playing. They broke in. And he tells me go in and grab a baseball bat or something. So I go grab, I think a tennis racket, and I think he grabbed a you know a rake. It wasn't. It was. It was not you know two warriors going out to do battle. This is two idiots going out to see if someone <laughs> broke into, into the property. But um, the only way that we got in is in the front. In the front door, there was a broken window down at the bottom that you had to reach in and undo the doorknob and, and open up. We had three Dobermans at the time, and these were great dogs. They were afraid of nothing. It was a shotgun house. You could see all the way through the house. And um, my dad said, look, I'm going to the back door. You go in the front door. I'll go in the back. I'll let the dogs go in. You open the door and go in. If there's anybody in there, just swing away. And I said, okay. So I go to the front door. My dad goes to the back. I can see him all the way through. The piano's still playing. I reach in, undo the door. It's not cold or anything like that inside when I reach in, but I reach in, undo the door, and it's still playing. I open the door and throw the lights on. Nobody's there. My father and I are standing there looking at each other, trying to figure out what what is going on. So we had the piano happen. Those are the two things that my parents... Um, you know, that my parents will admit to, uh, <laughs> to witnessing. And um, the rest of them are just little things that, that happened to me growing up. But it, it, when I started making a list of, of the things that had happened just to me over the years, whether it was in that house or somewhere else, it, it got a little crazy. It got a little concerning, to be honest, because I've never, I've never been one of those people that, you know, that, thinks I'm sensitive or whatever anybody wants to call it. I'm not, I think I just happened upon things, you know, at, at, at different times. And, um, you know, I still, to this day, if I go stay at the house, I'll sleep in my old bed. And a lot of times in the middle of the night, I'll hear people talking in the room and they'll be far away, but in the room, if that makes sense. Um, a couple of times someone has come over and sat on the edge of the bed. Uh, but the weirdest thing that's happened in that room, probably when I was about 14, I had a buddy who was spending the night and I had a, a queen size bed. And so I'm sleeping on one side, he's sleeping on the other. And it was about three in the morning. And 
there's this like rocking going on next to me. And my buddy Dave was a real heavy sleeper. And he was like the only kid that I knew at 13 or 14 who snored. And that was really annoying because I, you know, if we would hang out together and ended up crashing each other's house, I didn't sleep because he snored so bad. So he's not snoring, but he's like rocking back and forth. And there's a window that um, from, from my vantage point, I can look out this window to the neighbor's house. And um, I can see somebody, the, the outline of somebody rocking my friend Dave back and forth. And uh, I'm thinking, well, I, I, you know, trying to trying to figure out what is this, trying to rationalize it in my little 14-year-old brain. I'm thinking, well, maybe my dad's waking him up early. He's got to go, something. But I said, who's there? And the rocking stopped. And whatever this was stood back up against the window, and I could see the outline of whatever this was, just, just maybe a third of the outline of a person standing there. And I said, again, who's there? Well, nothing. Well, my room is pitch black. And... I could see this thing, whatever it was, walking around in front of my bed, walking over to my side, and I could feel its hand just about on my shoulder. Like if you if you take your hand and, and just barely hover it over your arm, that's what it felt like. It felt like somebody was about to, to touch me. And so I kind of jerk away from it. And before I know it, it's back over on the other side up against the window. And I can still only see about a third of it. So I'm freaked out, totally freaked out because nothing like this has ever happened to me before. So I reach over and I turn on the light. And as I remember it, and this is, this is 30, 36 years ago at this point, as I remember it, when I turned on the light, it was no longer inside, but it was outside the window on the second floor. And then it just was gone. And we've never had anything like that happen since. Um, I, I do know that there were stories, especially with this being a Southern plantation house. Of course, there were there were slaves, unfortunately, and there are stories of of slaves trying to run away and hiding into trees, and you know the the owner of the house shooting a shotgun and and knocking a, a slave out of the tree, and he landed and broke his arm. I mean, there's all those little stories, but trying to put those together and trying to rationalize what this thing was, I, I just can't. I can't figure out what in the world that it would have been, but. I do remember seeing some sort of shape in my room. So I know you and I were talking before this interview and uh, we were talking about faith and things like that. Uh, how do you relate the, these experiences to what you believe theologically? Uh, I mean, we don't need to go too deep and stuff, and I'm sure you got, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure, but maybe you have more you want to share with these stories. Uh, but it's just something I just thought of and stuff. And there, there's plenty of questions I could ask you, but I wanted to ask you that before I forgot. Well, I, you know, I, I thought about that too, because I'm, I'm a, a very devout Christian and, um, I, uh, I struggle with, um, when people talk about, you know, demon possession and things like that, I know people have witnessed a lot of crazy things that I can't even fathom. And, you know, you, you watch TV shows and things like that and you go, oh, that's crazy, but I don't think it's real. And I don't know that I'm the best person to talk about what's real and what's not. And in fact, when it comes to things like, you know, ghost stories and, and this and that, and I've got, uh, we've got, you know, we've got friends that have told us stories before and I'll, I, you know, I'll tell them life. I don't believe that for a second. Well, I'm telling the same stories, you know? So I feel like such a hypocrite doing that, but you know, I'm not buying it. I don't know what it is, but when it comes to, when it comes to faith, I think there are, there are definitely, you know, there are definitely a lot of times in the Bible where we see, we see spirits, um, you know, even in, um, you know, when, uh, when Jesus is in the garden, 
you know, uh, angels administer, administer to him. And when they're, um, I was trying to think, is it Garden Gethsemane where they were, where the transfiguration happened, where um, Elijah and Abraham are on are on each side? I believe it's Elijah and Abraham. So, you know, there's the, the spirits of, of those two, uh, those two very important, you know, characters. Um, you know, like you had talked about, you know, uh, Saul seeing, uh, the, or going to the Witch of Endor. And, and I don't know... Do you feel like it's clear, and we could go down this rabbit hole, but do you feel like it's clear that he actually saw, um, he actually saw Samuel, or did she see Samuel and said he's he's upset? <laughs> I, I got to go back and really read into it because it almost seems like she says, "I see an old man, and he's not happy." Well, and then he knows who it is. Yeah, but so it, I think you're right in that. But the thing is, with that is, it doesn't say that there was anything other than the spirit of Samuel there in the present. Um, yeah. You, it, okay. if it was, if it was somebody writing the scripture and, uh, they're writing this story and it was demonic, they would have addressed it as demonic, but the writer, I of think you're the right. Scripture addressed it as the dead spirit of Samuel, not demonic. Yeah. And on top of that, what was said during that conversation came to fruition. Demon, yes, it did. Demons can't predict the future. They're not omnipotent. Um, so, right, right. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, the other thing is this. When um, when Jesus walks across the water, you know, and, and he's he's walking on the water and during the storm and they see him, they say, you know, is that a ghost? So this was in their culture. You know, this the ghosts were in the culture. And so, and they're in every culture. So, I mean, even biblically, we're given, we're given examples of the fact that there, there are ghosts. And, um, you know, I, I had an experience, uh, a few years ago, um, my, both my grandparents who were just the greatest people ever, my grandparents passed away. Um, my grandfather's been gone since 06 and my grandmother, uh, has been gone since, uh, 2012, I believe. And, um, she didn't do well after, after he died, she said that she saw him three times in the house and she was not one of those people that would have stories like that. And so I don't know if maybe it could have been dementia, the start of dementia, or if she actually did see him. And, um, I, uh, I, I know she was terrified and she would say things like, he's coming to get me. He's coming to get me. And, and that, that was really upsetting because my, my grandfather never would have hurt my grandmother and it, and it scared her so bad. But after they were both gone, uh, the family went up to their house and I, I'm the oldest of, uh, probably seven or eight grandchildren. And so, uh, I had a very, very close relationship with them. And even though I didn't see anything, there was a presence that could be felt at that time. And, um, we were all leaving and my, my father said, Hey, lock up the house and meet us at whatever restaurant. And, uh, I, I start to lock up the house and I'm at the back door and I'm about to walk out. And I stood there and Tony, I know both of them were standing right behind me. I know they were, I could, I could feel them there. And I was wanted to turn around so bad to see them, but I was so terrified. I just couldn't do it. And I, I left. And so, uh, a couple of years ago, my son and I went to help them kind of close down the house. They sold the house and same situation. Everybody was leaving to go to dinner. Everybody was outside and, and I was locking up the house and I stood there and waited and waited and waited and nothing. And it, it just, it just emphasized what had happened, you know, a few years previous that something did happen. And I, I really felt like their spirits were there and, you know, I don't, I don't think they were trapped at all. 
I don't think they were trapped at all. And it could have just been the vibe of the house that, you know, we spent so many Christmases and so many summers there that that was in my head, but I can't help but feeling that they were there and they were, they were wonderful, wonderful Christian people. And uh, my, my grandfather was, a uh, was an elder in the church of Christ for a lot of years, just a really good man. And in fact, every story we heard about him after he passed away was just your, your grandfather did this for me. He was such a good guy. He helped me out here and here that brought us food, you know, just good people. And so I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like those spirits were there to say goodbye. And again, it could have been just me, you know, it could have been me just hoping, but, and freaking myself out. I totally think it could have been, it could have been that, but you know, I, I think that people get tied to places and, um, you know, I, I've had, I've had other strange experiences, you know, around, around the country. I do a lot of traveling and I'll, I'll tell you one thing that, that freaked me out. I, I was working for a company in New York and, uh, we were on long Island and, uh, staying at a, at a hotel that was fairly new. And, uh, they had put all the salesmen up for, uh, for a week. They were having trainings and meetings and all sorts of wonderful, you know, things that, you don't even want to know about. And, um, I'm in my room and it was a, uh, it was one of those suites and the suites, uh, had a bathroom and then it had a, uh, of course connected to the bedroom. And then you would walk through a little opening and there was like a seating area. And then there was a, um, there was a kitchenette and then the door. And so if you were looking down on it, it looked like a C, you know, you walk in through the door, you go around the wall and then you're, you're at the room. So, or the bedroom. So, I'm laying there and I got some work done, laid down about midnight. I just bolted straight up, could not sleep. Something was wrong. Something was weird. And I sat there for a minute and kind of calmed down. And all of a sudden this woman walks out of my, out of my bathroom. And she was probably mid fifties, red sweater, kind of graying blonde hair, glasses, and walks out of my, out of my bathroom and which the door was shut. She walked out of the bathroom in front of the bed, around to where the um, the sitting area was, out by the kitchen, and was gone. The door didn't open. Door didn't close. Nothing. So I, I go running out there and out to the out to where the door was. The bolt is on the door. There's no way any anybody could have gotten in or out. And of course, didn't sleep real well that night. And uh, the next morning, I was having breakfast with the guys that I worked with, and I, I didn't really say anything. And the manager. Uh, behind the counter saw me and he came over and goes, are you okay? And I go, yeah, I'm all right. And he said, are you, are you okay? Is there anything that you, anything wrong in the room? And I said, let me ask you about this room. And I told him the story and he goes, nope, we've never had anything happen here. And I said, okay, liar. well, maybe it's just me. That guy's a liar. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But he's a liar. <laughs> He came, well, he came to you. Thing. He came to you, and it's like, "Are you okay?" He did. And then he, he asked you twice, and then you're like, "Well, let me tell me about this room." And, and no, he knew there was something going on in the room, man. He knew. Hey, well, he wanted us to come back, is what he wanted. But th- the weird thing is, a f- they had all of our information. Well, this guy called my company, got my name, described me to them, got my name, and called me the next week, and he goes, "Can you tell me what happened?" And I go, "Yeah," and I told him. And I said, have you ever heard of that happening in your hotel? And he goes, not in my hotel. He goes, but I've been in the hotel business for 30 years. That is by far not the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But, you know, we didn't stay there anymore. I, I told, you know, the people that book our rooms, they said, please don't put me there anymore. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. I never stayed there again, man. But 
being on the road is just, you know, it, you run into some very weird things. I mean, it's not, it's not connected to the house that we're originally talking about. And, and I don't think it's connected to me. I don't think I attract anything like that. I just think from time to time, I run into some weird stuff. Yeah. I mean, and I think there are times where almost everybody runs into something weird. It's just, are you willing to acknowledge it? You know, are you the kind of person that, you know, even pays, pays mind to things like that? Or do you think, oh, that was just weird. My mind's playing tricks on me. How many times do people say that to themselves? You know, oh, my mind was playing tricks on me. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe it, there's actually something going on. Um, yeah. So back to this first story. Uh, yeah. Now you said about the time slip. Do you think that if it was a time, because I mean, here's the facts. You saw something that was your dad, right? So you, yeah. you, you saw your dad from 20 years ago or whatever it was. And you're talking about time slips. Um, you don't believe it was time travel, uh, which by the way, you mentioned about time travel where you said, uh, if it exists, then it always existed. That's exactly what I tell people. Like when they yeah. say, does time travel exist? I say, if it exists now, then it always existed because then you can transcend time at all at one, all at one time. And so time yeah. is now nullified for the person who holds the controls of time. Uh, and so that, I find that interesting. But uh, the, um, the, the, the time slip thing, are we talking about maybe like, are you talking about like some kind of type of residual energy or, or what? Because uh, I, I, I believe that science is far more complicated than anybody can fathom uh, at this point in our human history. And I think there's a lot of things about our science and, uh, and things that we don't even call science yet uh, that we just don't understand. And do you think that residual energy could be part of that? I do. Yeah, I totally do. And I mean, you know, I look at it and, you know, would, would my father ever be a time traveler? No, because he would think that it was foolishness and he wouldn't, he wouldn't want any part of it. <laughs> but I, I just, it almost seems just like a recording, just a recording of, of something that happened. You know, where's that idiot kid? Is he home yet? And I was home and he looked out to see if I was home and then he was gone. I mean, it's, it, it almost seems that simple, but you know, my, my lovely wife who I adore more than anything was making fun of me, but she made a really good point. Could it, could it be just some sort of time slip? I think it could. I think it could. Yeah. I mean, cause the idea of the time travel, it's not like it could be your dad from the future coming back in time because what you saw was your dad from the past, which right. means that your dad would have been a time traveler 20 years ago. <laughs> never told you right. and still refuses to to let you know that the, the family secret is dad's a time traveler right so right right <laughs> well that that picture of him and and george washington's always been a little weird but you know what are you gonna do <laughs> well <laughs> i mean we're not talking about disneyland here man so, <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah I, i'll tell you man th these are some interesting stories now your parents had the, the these experiences on the property do they have anything you know too crazy happened or has just been pretty just no that's stuff. it that's it i mean you know there there were times when you know windows would slam uh across the you know across the house and all the windows are you know these are old windows they've all been you know painted shut for 50 years more than that so you know you would just hear weird things and they've never had anything my my son and i went to uh, went to Atlanta to, uh, to, he went with me to check on a couple of customers that I had down there and he was just riding with me and he was probably 16. And, uh, he's one of the most rational people I know. And, um, 
he's an engineering student. So, you know, math and science are his things. And, um, he had an experience outside the house one time we were taking the dog. Um, now if you want to talk about satanic, we can talk about this dog, but that's another thing. But anyway, I, I'm walking the dog out in front of, in, in front of the house and it's, it's dark outside and he's talking to me. Well, then he turns around and, and says, what are you doing over there? And I go, what do you mean? He said, I was just talking to you in the front yard. And he was talking to somebody. He said, I saw the shape of somebody in the front yard and thought it was you and was talking to him. And he goes, it wasn't, it wasn't them. It wasn't you. It was something. I don't know what it was. And I turned around and it was gone. But he saw something in the front yard, very similar to what I'd seen in the in our bedroom, the, the same sort of shape. Um, and then that same trip, we had gone to to have breakfast with a buddy of mine, and we got back. We were about to to leave to go back um, to go back home, and we went into the house. It was just he and I standing there. My, my parents were on vacation, and uh, we went back in to make sure you know everything's locked up and air is turned down and all sorts of things. And their bathroom is directly above their kitchen. We were in the kitchen getting a drink, and we heard somebody walking upstairs. Now, this is the only other time that, that we've ever heard anybody walking in the house. Someone was walking upstairs, and it sounded like someone had dropped a ball, and it rolled across the bathroom floor. It's a tile floor. So, you know, again, father and son team going up, you know, back stairs, front stairs on this one, and, you know, trying to make sure nobody comes down the stairs. And nobody's there. I mean, and that that's the thing that drives me crazy. The end to every ghost story is always nobody was there. It just wants, wants someone to say, yeah, they were there. They were right there. And we talked for a while. But, you know, he and I both heard those things. And, and that was in the house. But my parents, never anything. Never anything beyond the, the two stories about the piano and the and the footsteps in the hallways. Nothing. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned about the footsteps in the hallways, and it's just fresh in my mind. I I like watching these YouTube channels and stuff that you know these guys go and they they go through like old buildings and they uh, record video and you know they do some things that I wouldn't do, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I would walk through old buildings and I would you know do it in the middle of the night and all that stuff. And if a place is supposedly haunted, I'd I'd have no worries about walking through and just kind of hanging out and filming stuff. It's just when they cross that line of uh, trying to communicate with something there, that that's something that I, I don't yeah. rock with. But um, yeah, they, they were in the, this morning I was watching, they were in a, in an old house, like 200 year old house, supposedly haunted by demons and all this other stuff. And they were down in the basement. And honestly, like this house was uh, all boarded up, all windows and the door they came through, they boarded up because they wanted to spend the whole night there. No excuses. Nobody was there. They've been in the entire house. They went down in the basement last. And when they're down in the basement, you just hear this, dum, 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 like somebody just stopping across the floor up the, upstairs. And I'm telling you, I'm sitting here <laughs> watching it, and I was like, that, there's very few things that I, I would say would scare me, honestly. And yeah. that would scare me. The idea of hearing those thudding footprints after you've been through the whole house, that would put me on edge. I mean, outside of actually seeing like a freaking demon jump in my face and be like, I'm going to eat your soul. Like, I mean, sure. that, that would scare me. But uh, I mean, it, I, I, this, the paranormal stuff, because of what I do and talking to the people that I talk to and everything, like I've become very numb to 
this stuff. And it, it just doesn't phase me like it once did. Uh, but the idea of hearing footsteps, so I can't imagine what, I mean, I don't know how your dad moves on from that, you know, be like, oh, it's just, you know, the wind, you know? <laughs> yeah, he, he's just a very practical, very rational person. And those those things don't play in. And, you know, I, I'm certainly not upset with him. I, I'm glad that they haven't had you know, more experiences that have scared them. It's, it was a, it was a great place to grow up, spend holidays. It was really just a cool place. And it just, it would get a little weird. And, you know, it's funny you talk about, um, talk about demons and, and, you know, people going into these houses and welcoming things in. I've never used a Ouija board at all. never will. And, um, I, I, I truly believe, you know, we, we talked about faith a little bit and, you know, people say, well, you know, how much, how much power does God have in your life? And I think the correct answer for that and for any of these, any of these things, whether it's demons or, you know, uh, power of prayer or influenced by friends, you know, how much power does God have in your life? God only has as much power as you give him in your life and as much as you open up to him. And I think it's the same for a lot of these, you know, a lot of these demonic things and, and maybe just even the subject matter. Uh, not not even a, a physical or a, or a spiritual demon, but just the subject matter itself. I think people get so bogged down in it. And I've had a lot of these things happen, and I've gotten to the point now where you know I we've watched a lot of these a lot of these shows, and you know whether it's you know paranormal shows, Bigfoot or or you know UFOs or or ghost, and you just see a lot of the, a lot of these people that have just kind of given their lives over to this and it's all they know. And, and it doesn't ever really end well. It, it doesn't seem to really end well. It's, it seems like it's a, there's a very specific stereotype that goes along with, with people that just devote their lives into, uh, you know, not solving anything, but just living it. If you know what I mean? Just, well, this is just my life. It's like they've given over the bulk of their lives to these things. And I, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. And I think that really that what you just said and stuff it really comes down to how people view their lives, um, how people are conceiving the things that happen around them and uh, what they in their hearts believe is happening. Um, right. You and I have certain theological convictions that there are people who do not have. Therefore, they're willing to live with certain things more and some invite it because they believe that some people believe there are, there are no such things as demons. Uh, that they believe in ghosts and they believe that, you know, your spirits can, you know, whatever, like it's a spirit of somebody or whatever it is, uh, but they don't believe in demons. So underneath that theological uh, conviction, there's not a whole lot to fear. And so yeah. it's just, you know, living life with an entity. And if you're fine with it, then let bygones be got bygones, you know? And so it really yeah. kind of comes down to how people view the world. And that's why I say it all the time in the show. And I'll probably say it till uh, I'm not breathing anymore. And that's, you know, it, it really depends on how people view the world going into an experience as to how they're going to relay that experience coming out of it. Uh, it you could have a, an atheist and a theist in the same room experience the same thing, and they will come out saying two different stories. Because they went into it thinking, uh, or they, they went into it knowing certain truths that the other one did not believe. Uh, right. So, you know, it really is a situational thing. And, um, you know, but that's why I enjoyed the show, because we can uh, sit here and talk and have conversation with people and uh, all that fun stuff. But uh, Josh, man, I'm telling you, man, I, I really enjoyed hearing these stories. It really was a nice time talking to you. 
Well, man, I appreciate you having me on. I, I love the show and uh, just, I think you're doing a bang up job and, uh, and I, I do hope you just keep going because it's, it's really, it's a lot of fun. And I, and honestly, I think you're helping a lot of people too. Well, I appreciate it, man. I, I, uh, I'm going to continue the show until there's no more people that want to be interviewed. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. I don't plan on stopping this thing anytime soon. And, uh, right now we're, we're booked with in- interviews for the f- foreseeable future. So, <laughs> Um, you yeah, know. you're not going to run out of, out of material. I guarantee you. No, I mean, there's what, seven and a half billion people on the planet, uh, of those seven and a half billion people, even if a million of them have paranormal experiences and 10% of those people contact me, I'm in business for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, <so laughs> totally. <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, brother. Well, thanks for talking. You got it, man. Thank you so much, Tony. Take care. Next up, we have Daniel coming on the show to talk about his experience with his family with the screaming La Llorona. Daniel, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome, man. I'm doing good. So uh, we are going to be talking about, and I'll let you say it, La Llorona. Is that how you say it? Uh, yeah, that's pretty close. It's La Llorona. Yeah. La Llorona. Llorona. There you go. There we yeah. go. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, but I find it interesting is that we were scheduled to talk today and I recently just started learning about this. Uh, and I, every culture has its own uh, legend kind of like this. But uh, this specific legend, uh, I just started learning about and uh, I, I heard it somewhere, probably on a podcast or a YouTube show. And, uh, you know, I, it piqued my interest and I started looking into it. And then I saw that we were supposed to be talking today about this. And so I was like, wow, talk about a synchronicity. Uh, but uh, you've had uh, a, a strange experience. Let's just put it that way, where you might have heard this uh, screaming. And so if you could tell us about what the folklore is behind this let's just say i don't want to say folklore as in a disrespectful way but just like the legend behind it and then let us know what you experienced okay sure yeah we we can start with that um and you know the legend that was taught to me um was a a legend that i'm sure plenty of you know mexican and mexican-american people have heard probably a thousand times and uh, so you know, where I come from is American Southwest uh, in Arizona. And there's there's a lot of different folklore and old tales that, that go on in, in those parts. And, uh, you know, of course, a lot of it has to do with the, the Mexican culture. But, you know, from what I was told and, and from, you know, what was taught to me was that there was, there was a woman, and the tale goes and the legend goes, is there was a woman who fell in love with a with a different man in that she was married with, and um, so the husband comes back to find the affair, and he actually, you know, they get in a big fight or whatnot, and because she can't be with the man that she really loves, she drowns herself or drowns her children and kills herself. And um, and it's always some type of version 
of that that you hear. Another version is is that the husband came back and killed them all and drowned them in the river. Yeah, and the one that I was hearing was that the uh, the lady was abandoned by her husband and out of grief killed her children. Uh, well, grief and anger, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I it's one of those things where a lot of legends are, or a lot of cultures have similar type of legends. And uh, the idea of a woman uh, spirit, you know, prowling an area uh, because of lost loved ones or a baby, a child. I mean, it's a very common thing, a woman in a white dress, which is a common description with this, right? Yes, that's correct. And, and there's a lot of different versions. And, you know, um, as growing up, and hearing the different versions, it all kind of, you know, there's all very uh, <laughs> similar um, formalities with the whole story. But the gist of it is that it was, it was a grieving woman who had lost her love, lost her children. And because of that, you know, she would come periodically during certain conditions uh, to make herself known. Uh, and that's kind of the creepy thing about this story was that um, when it, when it, when I experienced this and when I heard, you know, La Llorona, the way it was, it was taught to me, you know, I, I, I was, I experienced this at the age of innocence. Then I was only four or five years old. I was a little boy. Um, I didn't know too much about right or wrong, evil or good, but I was at the age where I witnessed it, I felt it, um, and it shook me to my core. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I've never experienced anything that dramatic and scary, you know, in the 40 years that I've been on this rock. Um, it was, it was that, it was that moment where it was life changing, even though I didn't quite know what it was. Yeah. Well, why don't you walk us into, uh, what had happened? I know it was like an entire family event. Yeah. So, <clears throat> You know, um, like I said, this was in American Southwest, um, and I, I really don't want to get into the specifics about certain things because um, I'm sure that a lot of people that were there that witnessed it, um, to include my mom, feel uh, a different way about it, and I'm not sure if they would appreciate me giving the specifics. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, and so on the weekends, we would travel to go see my grandparents. Uh, our family was very close at that time. Um, it was uh, my parents. Uh, we probably lived uh, about 100 miles away from my grandparents, and they lived near the Mexican border, uh, the Mexican-Arizona border. So on the weekends, when my father was off, we'd go down there and see my grandparents, and it seemed like uh, every time we'd go down, it was just it was great times. It was a huge party. Um, food, drinks, music, and all of the family would be there at my grandparents' house to um, be together. And, uh, you know, growing up in a Mexican-American culture, the family was very important. So we try to do that as, as often as possible um, according to schedules. So I remember this specific time that we went down there um, was just... Like any other time, uh, we went down there, had dinner, uh, you know, the adults were drinking, playing music, dancing, and, uh, you know, typically it would last into 
into the night. Uh, at that point, you know, I'm sure at that point I was put down in bed somewhere. Um, but being a young kid at that age, I had a fascination with cars. So uh, when I woke up in the morning, I grabbed my bag of cars and, and they were Hot Wheels and I put them in the living room and I'd sit there and play with these cars. Well, it was just like any other time before um, that we had been there, the same thing happened. I woke up in the morning, probably the first one to wake up. I'd get my bag of cars, go to the living room, and on the rug, I'd play with my Hot Wheels. And um, now we were on the border. Uh, my grandparents' house was on the Mexican American border um, in Arizona. And because of that, my grandfather, he had uh, a pack of dogs that you know, lived in the house and, and lived in the yard. And, uh, I remember he had a, a German shepherd and he was the alpha male, of the whole area. I mean, he was a massive dog. He was fierce. He was brave and he would control all the other dogs. And my grandfather had some, some hounds, some smaller dogs, some mutts, but they would all kind of follow the German shepherds. Um, lead and that morning I was playing with the cars on the carpet in the living room and I remember looking outside and I can see the German Shepherd and he was out there on the porch just as usual kind of keeping an eye on things you know he would keep a lookout and there were several of the dogs around him um, and uh, it was a normal day the sun was out, the birds were out, they were chirping, he was alert, moving around. And uh in a moment, everything turned, everything changed. Um, the skies got a little bit darker. Um I remember everything just got silent. I didn't hear any birds. I was, you know, still playing playing with my cars and I looked outside and all of a sudden <clears throat> the German shepherd was, he was all the way close to the door, which was really strange. You know, I remember thinking about it. I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of strange. He's, he's backed up. He's backed up and his, you know, his behinds all the way against the door and all those dogs were, you know, cuddling around him. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you don't think much of it. And, you know, these thoughts and, and some of the reasons I have are because of, uh, you know, later uh, deliberations about what actually happened and, and the stories that I've heard from other people growing up through the years. But um, I remember it was, I remember it was a real strange feeling because it just got really calm. And everything just stopped. Everything grew silent. And uh, a moment later, uh, I heard something that, to this day, I've never heard, and there was no way anybody can replicate the sound that I heard. And, uh, you know, this, the, the story and the tale of La Llorona has been replicated in some B-movies in Hollywood, and I think there's even one that came out in the past, the past year or two, and they're, they're pretty bad. I mean, you can't do that type of experience, any, any type of justice by putting it on television through Hollywood, it just, it, it, will, it will never replicate the horror and the reality of what's really out there. And 
Um, you know, at the age of five, I heard it. And the year was, it was, it was about 1980, 1981, I believe. And uh, I, I didn't hear it, but for 10, 15 seconds, when the entire house uh, erupted and got up and ran and they were, you know, they, they were trying to find me. They're trying to locate where I was. And I, I believe it was my mother that first got me. She found me and she pulled me and uh, she covered my ears. So I couldn't hear it. And uh, all the ladies, all the women in the house, you know, being a, a, a strong, you know, Catholic background immediately, uh, uh, congregate to the center of the house and they began praying in, in the rosary. And uh, I remember my mother covering my ears and I could still hear it. There's, there's no way that you can't hear something like that, even if you tried to drown it out. It was like somebody was screaming directly in your ears. Um, and I, there was probably about anywhere from, you know, a dozen to 15 people in the house. It was a rather large house. And uh, everybody heard there's not one person in the house that did not hear it. And I was the youngest person in that house. And um, it's like if somebody were to be in both sides of the ear, screaming as loud as they possibly could, but in a wailing way. Um, there's no way that you can experience something like that and just not be in total fear. It was horrible. Um, <clears throat> this happened for maybe not even uh, a minute. And as soon as it, you know, it, it, the conditions went from from light to dark, and after that, that period of time, it went the same way from dark to light. And when this demon stopped wailing, it was like nothing had changed. The birds were back out. The sun was out. The dogs went back to their normal positions. Um, and everything was just like before. Now, this dog, he was, he was an uh, alpha German Shepherd, he was, I, I remember him being a massive animal. Um, I remember m my, my father would pull up into the yard and he had a truck and this German Shepherd was, would be so happy to see him that, you know, my, my pops would roll down the window and, you know, he would lean into the truck and he'd put his paws in his, his forearms into the truck and his whole head would come in into the cab of this four by four truck. Uh, just to be able to lick him on the face. So he was he was a massive animal. He was a powerful animal. And when that light turned dark that first time and he cowered up against that door, he was crying like something was beating him. And when I figured out, before I can even, you know, at the age of five, you don't really know much. I just, I just knew that the dog was uh, being hurt. And I remember, you know, trying to get out there and figure out what was going on with them and being smashed up by my mother and being pulled to the center of the house away from the windows. Um, 
it was a it was a very very strange moment. And even as a kid, you know, I I, I picked up on certain details and uh, certain actions that everybody took. And there's no way that you know at the age of, that I am right now that I can make any 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 of this up. Uh, it can't be fabricated. These are specific details and and specific circumstances that that happened that only one could bring up if they were actually there. And, uh, and the reason why I say that is because um, about 10 years ago, I was, uh, I came back from uh, a deployment overseas. And uh, me and my, my father came out to visit me. I was living in, in another state at the time. And he came out to visit me. And, uh, you know, we were in the backyard barbecuing. Um, having a few drinks and I brought this up and Tony, the look on his face was, I've never seen my father so white and so wide-eyed before in my whole life. His jaw dropped and he couldn't believe that I remembered this and I brought it up to him. And the only thing that he could say was, I cannot believe that you remember that morning. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a few times and, uh, you know, I I was five at the time. And, and, uh, so I I was very young, you know, this this is in the age of innocence most definitely. And, 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 uh, it took me a while to process to actually figure out, and to make sense of the situation and to come up to my own conclusions of what actually did happen. And um, it took me years and years to get to that point, but putting all the pieces together um, really made me think, hey, you know, there, there, there is definitely something out there and not all things that are out there are good. And to that day, I've never been so scared in my life. Uh, and I've been in, in some pretty hairy situations. Uh, I've been in combat multiple times. I've had, you know, direct fire engagements, indirect fire engagements. I've seen people twisted and blown up. I've seen body parts everywhere. Uh, but, you know, nothing has ever been that scary to me. It brought fear to me. It brought panic to me. Uh, even at a young age where I really didn't understand what was right, what was wrong, what was evil, what wasn't. Uh, nothing has ever been that scary and that fearful to me. I mean, it shook, it shook me to my core to the point where even to this day, um, you know, not much of anything really could affect me the way it, it had back then. Um, because I, I, I witnessed it firsthand. I heard, I heard this demon, you know, uh, um, screaming. I heard this demon bringing fear and terror to my whole family. And uh, there's nothing that can ever prepare you for anything like that. Or I don't think there's anything that ever can convince you that that is anything else. You know, you hear a lot of people talking about. 
well, I heard this, but it must have been a you know, a coyote or a bobcat or this and that. Um, this was something uh, totally different. It was something that was, um, it was supernormal. Um, not paranormal, not supernatural. It was supernormal. And, and these are the things that do exist in, in our lives and in, in our world. And uh, I think we have to be true to ourselves to, and, and understand that there are there are good forces out there. There are evil forces out there, and, and there's a fight. And there's no way at the age of five that I could ever have come to that conclusion. And it took me years and years of deliberation and reading and studying and 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 hearing eyewitness accounts that confirm I, I I did hear what I did hear, and there's no way that I can make a story up like that uh, at that young with those details that have affected me right. for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, you have the confirmation of your dad who you know confirmed that your memory is accurate when he's like, I cannot believe you remember that. Uh, do your parents ever, you know, indulge you in their ideas as to what this is and have they ever seen it? You know, is this something that the whole family knows has been going on for a long time or anything like that? Well, it being a folklore uh, in the American Southwest and especially with the Mexican American and Mexican cultures, it's just something that is there. It's present. It, it is there. It affects everybody. It can be witnessed and you have to be careful and you have to be fearful for these things. And at the same time, you have to be strong in your faith uh, because these things can affect you and, and they can get to you. Um, <laughs> you know, my, you know, my, uh, my parents eventually got involved in a, in a religious group that really doesn't believe in the, you know, the, um, in demons or angels or anything like that. They're just, they're just more factual about things as according to what they believe in their philosophy and in, in their philosophy and their theology. Um, my, my mother, I remember her talking about it to my grandfather. This was years ago. Um, but after the whole switch of religion things, she, she claims that she heard everybody talking about it, but she didn't, she didn't quite hear it. Uh, so she's, she's a bit of a denier. And I think that has everything to do with um, her change in uh, theology and the religious organization that she affiliates with. Um, now, I, I will tell you this. Uh, I didn't talk to anybody about this for the longest time. Um, but uh, my my grandparents, and this is a, a different different grandparents from the ones that actually witnessed it on that night. Um, this was from my mother's side. And they lived in a nearby city, um, but they weren't there that night. It's a whole different set of grandparents. Uh, my, my grandfather, he was a very uh, spiritual person. Uh, he was very he was very in tune to everything. And, and uh, yeah, he, he, was a, he was a great, great man and great uh, father figure to all of us. And uh, he's a World War II veteran. And, you know, he had been through a lot of things in his life. and. There would be certain conditions, and, and this was when I was a bit older, you know, maybe preteen and stuff like that. I'd yeah, like to be running the streets, and I, I would like to be out and about, you know, with my cousins and my uncles. And um, there were certain certain times, in, during certain conditions, where he would physically go outside and 
call us back in because he felt that um, that the spirit by Orona that it could be out that night, and he would get very very paranoid and very worried, and he would you know he would wrangle us all up in and pull us inside the house. Um, and he was a man that that grew up in in the mountains of Arizona. Um, his his father. Uh, they were from California originally, and they migrated and they, they moved back east to Arizona to work the uh, the mines, the copper mines. And uh, I remember him telling me that there was uh, three occasions that he heard uh, La Llorona himself as a kid growing up, um, and it would be the same conditions every single time, Tony, that he would be out there worrying about us, calling us, you know, wrangling us in into the house because he didn't want us to be out there. Um, and the conditions were always something similar, was, you know, dark, overcast, no moon out. Everything was quiet, you know, the proverbial calm before the storm. When those conditions hit, you know, he, he would be nervous and he would be looking for us. And he'd, I remember he'd get into his car, honk the horn so we can get back to the house because, you know, he had experienced it as well. Um, now. You know, my grandfather uh, and my grandmother, the, their house that I experienced this in, there was a lot of uh, paranormal activity in this house. And uh, growing up, going down there and spending the weekends there, and, uh, it, was, it was very scary. And the older I got, I realized you know, the last time I actually wanted to spend there in that house. And I love my grandparents. You know, they were caring, they were loving, they were beautiful people, but, you know, there was something in that area, there's something in that house that that brought uh, fear to me on a level where I didn't, didn't want to go. I didn't want to stay there. And even as a kid, I would fight and fight and fight. And uh, recently, one of my my aunts from my mother's side told me that uh, she remember how strange it was when I was a kid that I never wanted to go there and that I would fight my parents about going there and staying there um, because I just felt something there, you know, and it started with La Llorona. After that happened, I didn't want to be in that house. I didn't want to be anywhere in that house. Um, and that was just a small portion of the things that were going on in that house. Um, there was there was a room inside that house, and, and this was this was you know aside from La Llorona and the whole story and the whole myth. But there was a, there was a specific room in that house where none of us, and when I say us, I mean the people in my generation, my cousins. Um, there there were probably about eight eight of us that uh, we didn't want to go in this room because there was a lot of things that would happen in this room. Uh, we would see apparitions. Um, we'd try to go that down in there and uh, we'd get pulled from our legs, from our feet off the bed. Um, and it was just, even when that, that didn't happen, even if you passed by that room, you just felt that you were being watched and surrounded. And, uh, you know, my grandparents knew, uh, again, they're, they're, 
they were also very spiritual person people and, and and they knew that we all felt it as well and I remember there would probably be about 30 people in the house all family members down there for functions weddings and whatnot and all of the kids all of the cousins you know were all around the same age we'd go to the opposite of the house opposite side of the house to sleep on the ground and sleep on the couches and the floors and my grandmother would come in and she would ask us you know, in Spanish, you know, she, she would ask us and say, hey, there's a whole room back there with two beds. Nobody wants to go back to our sleep. And we were like, no. You know, there'd be the eight of us saying, no, no, heck no, we're not going back there and sleeping. And that, that room always remained vacant. And this was the same house that, you know, that, that we all witnessed, La Llorona. Um, now, I, I do remember um, as as that voice went away, as that scream went away, and everything went back to normal, and on that morning that I witnessed it, I remember um, everybody in that neighborhood. They were they congregated to um, a certain intersection. This intersection was face uh, um, the Catholic Church, and all of the families in the houses went to the center, and they were talking about what was happening. And they all heard it. And there probably was about 50 people out in the middle of the street that, you know, corroborated you know, the stories and what they witnessed and hearing the screams of La Llorona. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was absolutely crazy. Um, and it's even more crazy now that I think about it and I try to make some type of sense of it as an adult. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And I experienced that when I was five, and I, I put all this together. You know, so when I bring this up to the adults that, that was there, they, they can't believe I remember that story in detail I did. I mean, it, it really shook me, and it really shaped me, and it made a lasting impression um, on me for the rest of my life to this day. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. I mean, the way you talk about it, it's, uh, it seems like it's still still an impactful thing. Uh, do you think that the dog was physically being attacked during that episode? I think he was, um, because uh, the way the way he it sounded like he was being killed, like he was just being pulled apart. I've never witnessed anything like that, uh, and I was a mere few few feet away from that door and from that dog. Yeah, uh, man, it was it was intense. It was it was intense. Yeah, I can imagine, man. Well, it sounds like there's some crazy stuff going on there for sure. Uh, what it is, well, we'll let the audience decide, you know. So, but um, yeah, it's definitely interesting, man. And uh, you know, I don't think that one. I don't think it's crazy. And also, I think that the family. Um, I think your family probably knows a lot more than they're even willing to talk about. You know, it, it's it's probably one of those things where it's just like, uh, eh, let's just kind of let time forget about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some, when you go through something like that, Tony, I think it's, if everybody has their own way of processing information and, and, and being defensive. And a lot of that, you know, is just you know, their way to just really forget about something like that and that traumatic that, that it can even happen in the first place. And there's no way to explain it. So a lot of it is just, you know, uh, defensive mechanisms to cope with. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, 
it is, it is definitely um, something that is that is that has shaped my my thinking and my way of life to this day. So you know, I, I think that this is, has affected me in, in a lot of different ways. But uh, uh, one thing I want to talk about, I, just, I believe, it has made me more in tune and more aware of what is really out here in our world. Um, and I, I can't really explain what it is, but I can explain what I feel, what I felt, and how it has affected other people. So, um, I, you know, there, there's a specific time where I was deployed and, and we were in a, a combat environment. And um, we were in uh, engaged in direct fire. And uh, we were trying to maneuver on uh, on some an- enemy that was embedded in the schoolyard. They were in, they were in a schoolhouse. They were sniping at us and and you know opening fire from the school. So we went into you know our our movement techniques and our our procedures to assault this group that was in the school. And uh, and I mean we've done it. A few hundred times. It was just like clockwork. It's just something that you go through. It's a battle drill. It's something that you don't think about. You just automatically start engaging in order to envelop the enemy. And uh, for some reason, this time, uh, and I, I still don't know how it happened or what made me say this or what clicked in my head. But as soon as we started our uh, maneuvers onto this enemy. You know, something hit me. Something hit me, and and I just, I just stopped everything, and I said, "Hey, uh, uh, you know, I got up on the net on the radio, and I said, hey, you get all dismounts back to the trucks because you know we're in up armored trucks, and and we had MRAPs and up armored Humvees, and we had fire support with fifty thousand two forties, and and they were rocking, but something hit me and said, get get your people back in the trucks, because that was all on the line of protection." Um, so I radioed the ground units to get back in the trucks and, you know, everybody was like, you know, what the hell's going on? You know, we're about to get busy. We're going to roll these people up. This needs to happen. And I said, Man, listen, there's no argument right now. Just, just get back in the dang trucks. And so they did. And uh, about 10 feet, you know, 15 feet, they're moving, they're getting closer. And I was just nervous, man. There was something that came over over me and I couldn't, couldn't understand it. I couldn't explain it. But I was really nervous. I just wanted them back in the trucks. And the moment they got back in the trucks, there was um, an earthen mound that was running north to south that my troops had lined up in. And as soon as they started, uh, you know, regressing towards me, that, that whole mound blew up. Um, and... Uh, you know, I didn't think nothing of it. Hey, combat. Sometimes you make decisions. Sometimes you make good decisions. Sometimes the decisions aren't aren't that good. But hindsight, you know, that's just the way it is. But I remember a few months later, uh, a few of my troops were talking to me, and, and they're saying, uh, "Hey, uh, why in the heck did you call us back that day?" I said, "What day was? What day are you talking about?" And I said, "Okay, that day we were lined up on on the on the berm ready to assault." And I said, I can't explain it to you, man. I just, I just had to get you back. I just knew that there was something, and I had to get you back. You know, and uh, there was probably about three or four of them, and uh, they were pretty touched. 
so there's there's a few things I think that when you experience something like that, you just kind of more in tune with your your natural or or supernatural world, if you will. Um, but it, it it has made me the person that I am today, for better or worse. So you think that um, that experience kind of gave you access to an intuition that maybe you wouldn't have had otherwise? Absolutely. I got you. Yes. It, it makes sense. I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, you know, we, we go through, we go through life and we have certain experiences. And one of the biggest tells is when you go through an experience, remembering how you felt during that experience, because how you feel during an experience can actually lend to, uh, in the future when you're going through something, if you remember how that previous experience felt, you might be able to recognize and, uh, understand what's going on around you before you know something crazy happens right yes exactly well that's interesting man I, i'm glad that you uh i'm glad that you listened to the intuition and i'm glad that you uh you got out okay but most of all i'd like to say thanks for serving in the military man hey, hey thanks for your support Tony. i appreciate it for sure uh what branch of the military did you serve in i served in the army Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I mentioned it on the show and stuff, but I, I was very close to joining the military when I graduated high school and I, I chickened out. I got scared, so I didn't go. But uh, there's a lot of people who aren't chickens and they go and they serve and I tip my hat to them. So thank you very much. Hey, thank you. And thank you for what you do. I appreciate it. Everybody has a purpose. And, um, you know, if you, if you weren't here doing what you do, I, I would have never uh, been able to talk to anybody outside of, inside of my close circle. So I do appreciate it. Which you do as well. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends because that's the best thing you can do to help the show grow is just to share it with your friends. I was thinking about it today and we have episode 256 that we just came out with. And I was thinking, man, I can't believe I've been doing it that long. That's a long time. A lot of shows we put out and we hopefully will have a lot more coming down the pike. As long as you guys enjoy the show and keep sharing it, people will keep emailing the show, their encounters, and we'll record them and present them to the world. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off. Bye. You gotta know that I meant it when I said that I liked you Or maybe just the idea I bought it, the one and I returned the shit like Ikea Apologize, I'm not a mind reader I need attention so I try to be a crowd pleaser It was easy till it got a little deeper Now I don't know how to deal with you so I'ma disappear I'm a ghost Now you see me, now you don't I'm a ghost Every time you hit the phone To change your background, but let's back down So you can see this is a problem I don't want to put myself in front of That's why I blocked you Cause I'm not the guy you should rely on I spy on, creep on, I don't know You just ain't that type of hoe If I don't holler, let me go I should've said it, but I didn't and I won't I'm a ghost Now you see me, now you don't I'm a ghost Every time you hit the phone
shady, shady, shady. I don't get reception. Missed your call, but best believe I got the message. Why don't you just leave me alone? I think it's last. Stayed way too long. 